Hey everyone, this is Jody from the Narrate team. In the fourth part of Narrate series, Our Father, Adam starts a conversation on the give us in the Lord's Prayer and asks the question, what if we understand prayer best when we understand that more than anything, God is after honest and interactive relationship. Hey, good morning. Uh, the NFL draft is over. It's like one of the highlights of the year, isn't it? It's the middle of basketball season, the start of baseball season, and still the NFL has us talking about it, which shows how good of a product it is. Skipping that, here's where I'd like to start your brains this morning is, uh, what, what's the best marriage advice you've ever received? Now, obviously, we don't have time to have a conversation, which I, I wish we did. I wish this was really a, a dialogue, though I'm too introverted to really follow through on that, to sit down and have coffee with all of you. But, but seriously, would you just catalog that? Like, well, what's, the, what's the best marriage advice you've ever received? And what I'd love to hear from lots of you, we're not going to have time to do that, is the reason I say that is because I'm sure some of you would have some very... Uh, funny, if not cynical, things to say. I'm sure this crowd would have some of that. I'm sure some of you w- would, would have a lot of things to say, born of a lot of pain and, and suffering and heartache and probably even divorce. I'm sure some of you, one of my favorite things about Narrate is we're not a next-gen church or whatever, that many of you are, are veterans and of decades and uh, the grace to have been married to the same person for 30 or 40 years, and I'm sure you would have some profound things to say. Maybe you have a daughter that you're about to marry off or some friends and you've thought a lot about this. Maybe we could flip it this way. Uh, Not just what's been said to you, but if you were to offer marriage advice, if you could say one thing, again, maybe maybe to some friends getting uh, married this year, maybe, maybe you're watching some people struggle and they haven't asked your opinion, but if you were asked, this is what you would say, what, what would you say? I thought about this this week. I would say you should marry Teresa Ellish. That's the only bit of advice I have. Because to whatever degree it's been successful for us, it's because my wife is of profound character. Actually, that reminds me of, uh, we were, a couple years ago, I was running with my friend David Casey, and I don't know how we got onto this. I was probably thinking about a series. It might have even been that one, uh, one but two series that we did last summer. And so I was kind of picking his brain on this marriage advice thing, and, and he said, Adam, when I married Deidre, and I don't know how long ago that was, I know they have like 20 kids, so it must have been at least 20 years ago. Um, it's low-hanging fruit with the Casey's, I know, that's not fair. Uh, but, but he said, when I married Deidre, I knew she had good character. And I'll never forget him turning and looking at me and saying, but I had no idea how good her character was, nor did I have any idea how crucial that was going to be. And I suspect many of us can echo that sentiment. I think if I were honestly to give you the, or to say, like, here's the best bit of advice I ever received, it goes all the way back to when I was 20. And I'm sorry, I reference my friend Fred, my friend Fred all the time. I'm going to have to come up with a pseudonym just so you don't resent him because I reference him so often. Uh, but, but I was 20 years old, and at that season, I had been following Jesus for months, not years. He and I met every other week, and at the time, he was an insurance agent. And so he did this cool thing where every day from 2.15 to 2.45, he had someone like myself drop by the office, and we'd talk about the text and what we've been learning and what questions we might have and just what it means to follow Jesus. And so that day, I dropped in on him. And this day, I showed up with a question. Uh, there was a woman in my life named Teresa. We were getting more and more serious. And so I looked across the table from him, and he had met her. We were kind of intentional on that. And I said... Uh, hey, Fred, I'm, I'm thinking about asking Teresa to marry me. What do you think? And this, this could make him sound controlling. I suppose you'll just have to trust that that's not his style. He, he looked at me and he said, well, what, what, will you, what will you say if I say I don't think it's a good idea? And I was like, I, I won't do it. And he smiled and he said, Adam, I think it's a great idea. 
And that kicked into gear his getting a little more intentional with us uh, in premarital stuff. And one of the things, the one thing that, <clears throat> or maybe the best thing that was said to me, it was actually said to him, and it was born out of some pain. Uh, he shared a story where early in their marriage, uh, his wife had asked him, hey, do you mind if I go hunting this weekend with some guys? And she said, no, I don't mind at all. But she meant, yes, I mind a whole bit, a whole bunch. I know none of you guys ever play that game, but they played this game. And so he went hunting, not knowing that he was supposed to prove his love for her by decoding her response. You know, you know how some people do that? You get that thing from the cereal box, and if you lay it over just right, you can figure out what the yes really meant and what's really behind it. And so he went hunting, and on day two of the hunting trip, one of his buddies, who's also kind of a mentor to him, uh, he, he looked at him and said, Fred, I can't believe you're here. And Fred said, what do you mean? And he said, well, my wife was talking to Joe, and that's his wife, and she was saying she, she really didn't want you to come, and I didn't think you would come when she didn't want you to. Right, So he went home, and I hope he doesn't mind my quoting him. As I remember it, his words to his wife were, I'll never divorce you, but I'm not sleeping with a liar. And they began to hash out, like, wait a minute. Like, we're not doing this. And as they progressed in the conversation, what they began to identify was there's a family of origin issue. I don't know if it's in yours. I know it's in mine where there's this dynamic where, where you demonstrate how much you really love somebody by taking the time and energy and standing on your head for long enough time to figure out not what they said, but what they meant behind what they said. And they agreed then and there. And this, so here's the piece of advice that they said to Teresa and I is you guys just eliminate that. Just agree that if Adam asks you, Teresa, if you mind if they go hunting, I don't go hunting, but if he does, you say what you want. And Adam, your role as it relates to loving your wife as Christ loves the church is you do everything within reasonable possibility to accommodate her want and vice versa. And that was how he rolled. And I got to tell you, I, it's, I'm only coming up on 16 years, so I'm anything but a veteran, but I can't tell you how often I see that whole scenario play itself out over and over and over and over again. Now, this is not a marriage sermon. Don't worry about that. I don't have much to say. There's the one thing I have to say. There you go. There's a the whole series. But the question I want to ask that's going to get us to the prayer conversation we want to have is, is what if that's not just good, not just good marriage advice? Like, what if that's good relationship advice? Like, what if that doesn't just make marriages happen more effectively, more functionally, uh, in ways that are more enjoyable, in ways that actually work? What if that makes for healthier office places, healthier relationships between team members, between classmates, between parents and their children, between adult children and their parents? Like, what if that just makes relationships happen more effectively? I was reminded of that myself this week. Uh, about a month ago, a friend of mine an emerging friend of mine, as I would call him, and I don't have very many friends, so they're all very, very valuable. Uh, he he <clears throat> called me and said, hey, Adam, uh, would, you be, would, would you be willing to coach our son's all-star team with me? Of course, that's all predicated upon both of them making it, but he's the coach, and he's like, would, would you, would you want to help me? And my head is like, yes, I would love that. That sounds like a blast. I'm not hedge coach material, but I love to hover, and so I think I'd be very good at that role. <laughs> But then he was asking, and, and he, he doesn't entirely understand that, you know, me in this place and what we do together, I don't think, but he understands that I work on Sundays, and last year I missed several Sunday games of tournaments because of this, which I'm glad to do. And so really his question was, is that even possible? Like, can you even do that? Because you're a priest. Like, I'm not even really sure what exactly that would in, in, entail. And, and so I explained to him, like, well, yeah, 
part of our value is I don't teach every weekend. Like People would stop coming if I taught every weekend. And frankly, we have a great staff and a great organization. And so my goal is to not teach once a month. And as I look towards the summer, there's already a few weekends where I'm not teaching. So maybe I could just move those around to match the few tournaments that you're talking about. And let, let me get back to you in a few days. What he didn't know is I hung up the phone and like a junior hire, I was so giddy with excitement. I figured it out in about the next 10 minutes, but I was tactful. I waited a few days to text him because I didn't want to look like a creepy stalker. And so I texted him like, hey, of, I can't even remember, like of X number of days, I'd have to miss, I think it was four or something like that. Ailes is on a tournament. And anyway, and he texted back something like, I should probably just take the time to look, but it's something like, uh, sounds good, that should work. Now, initially, like, okay, that's pretty clear. But then a week later, having not talked about it anymore, and two weeks later, having not talked about it anymore, and three weeks later, not talking about it anymore, suddenly it's this last Tuesday, and, and I've hyper-analyzed that statement to death. You know what I mean? Like, I've convinced myself that my kid's not good enough and he's not going to make the team. I've convinced myself that he doesn't like me. I've convinced myself that I have BO, and so he wants to stay away from me. I've stood on my head and tried to figure out, like, what exactly does this mean? Maybe if I stand on my head, it'll become more clear. I've read it on Friday and on Monday at midnight and in the morning. Like, I've done... I've, I've, I've beat it to death. And on Tuesday morning, I picked up the phone and I just called him. And I was like, hey, so are you thinking you still want me to coach with you? And he's like, yeah, I've been planning on it. <laughs> what if that's not just good relationship advice? And, and here's where I really want to get to as we think about prayer. And I'm going to try to touch on all of the problems we have with this notion of prayer. What if it's not just good relationship advice? What if it's good spiritual advice? Or maybe even better said, what if that's not just good advice, that whole let your yes be yes and no be no thing? What if that's not just good advice between you and a person, but between you and the person of God? What if in the midst of all the other unknowns and all the other complications and all the other things, God is a God who goes, hey, could, could you just shoot me straight? You, you, could you just like, don't, don't play games. Just tell me what you think you might need. And over time, maybe we could work that out together. See, it seems that this would be true because it's at the center of Jesus' ethic for how he teaches us to engage in relationships. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, there's this section that starts with everybody's favorite section of scripture in the entire Bible. Go ahead, you can take that down. I don't want to get... Uh, there's the, their favorite section. It's that whole do not judge thing, right? Like we all love the do not judge. Jesus says do not judge. And what Jesus is saying in that section is don't control people through your condemnation. Now, again, I know you've never tried that, but just in case you meet somebody who has, that might be good information. His point is, don't try to control people's behavior by rejecting them. And so that would leave this question of, okay, so how, how do you address issues? And Jesus gets into this. Uh, go ahead now, now Jamie, thanks. Uh, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And now watch how he ends it. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Notice Jesus isn't primarily talking here about if you pray for it, I guarantee you'll get it. He's primarily talking about a larger umbrella of topics, and that is simply relationships. And what he's saying is, how about you try this out in your relationships? When you want something, just tell them. When you don't want something, just tell them. Like, just shoot straight with people. 
Now, what does that have to do with prayer? Give me a few minutes to bring us up to speed because we started the series called the Our Father. And remember, this whole conversation from the Our Father, the because behind it is life beats us up, that we set off from moments like these and experiences like these and quiet times in the morning and a good song on the way to work tomorrow and a good workout in the morning and we get really, really centered on who we are and how we want to live and what direction we're going to live and and the type of people we want to be and how we want to relate to God and to Jesus and the divine. And, And then what happens is life happens. Work happens, diaper changes happen, kids happen, red lights happen, and and we get off. Remember, this is what we've explored. And what we've said is, what if the Lord's Prayer, what if the early church knew something with the way they talked about the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer? Because see, for them, it wasn't just an instruction manual on what to pray for. It was a liturgical mechanism that they used, kind of like a song that gets stuck in your head. That's why we gave you those postcards. We encourage you to take as many of those as you need and put them places and memorize it. Because what they did with it was it became this thing that they reached to throughout the day. And that thing just kind of constantly recenters, recenters, recenters. And so we started with our Father in heaven. And we said that heaven, a difficult word, refers to that space immediately around us, which means when we wake up in the morning praying our Father in heaven, we're reminding ourselves that God's not somewhere else. He's here because heaven is here in, in the Jewish understanding. Our Father always near us. And so we bring our insecurities and our problems and our frustrations up against a present God. The following week, go ahead, next slide, we moved into the hallowed be your name. Hallow, we said, is is about importance. I think the way Rob said it last week summarizes it well when he said, sometimes you just have to get over yourself. Hallowing is about reminding ourselves life is not about us, but it's about God. That, it's not, that it's, the purpose was not for me to be great or successful or powerful, but to point that energy back to God, to, to, to make his name look good. And then in the third part, there's this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we explored that, that what God made us for is domain. He made us to rule and to put that under his. Okay, ready? Wake up. Now we get to the fourth part. And this is the part where I want to mess with you a little this morning. Because then Jesus says, and then once a day, maybe around lunchtime, maybe as you're driving home for work, maybe a couple times a day, you should, you should spend some time on this topic. Give us today our daily bread. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've explored heaven, we've explored hallow, and we've explored kingdom. And we've said all of those are very uncomfortable ideas. I guess I'd like to suggest this morning, maybe none are more uncomfortable than the phrase give us. Like, I'm operating under the assumption this morning that the majority of us are intrigued by, if not committed to, the idea that God is real, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he has plans for us, that he's waiting for us on the other side of the veil, all of those things that he's present. But to start giving that God orders, to start telling him to do things, I guess I'm just going to guess that that's a little uncomfortable for us. And maybe it's because you've tried it and the results were disappointing. You've went there and things didn't change. So before we get too deep into this, I, I, I guess I just want to start here. What if, what if Jesus goes, hey, 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 you'll be really well off not financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, if once a day you just get really clear on what it is you think you want, what it is you think you have to have, and you just tell him. You just tell him what it is you want. And maybe we could ask it this way. What, what are you carrying? 
I guess the reason I wanted this brick in my hand is there's this sense of like, what's, what's the thing in your bag, if you will? What are you carrying around in your bag? And it's there. What happens when rather than hide it and pretend it's not there and not even be emotionally aware that it's there, what happens when you begin to talk about it? To put it before God and go, God, I, I, I don't know, this desire might even be sin. But here you go. Just want you to have it. What, what happens then? And what's the alternative? Have you ever thought of that? Because I think the alternative might be that we come to church and we come to church because we're really concerned about our marriage, but we never tell God we're concerned about our marriage. There's just like, God, I'm in church, wink, wink, but my marriage is not doing very well. Sure hope you're paying attention. And, and we put our $20 bill in the offering plate and then we would never say, hey God, I'm terrified of where my finance, finances are headed, but I'd never say that to you. So here's $20. I, I sure hope we, cou- what if God goes, stop couching things. Stop being dysfunctional. Let's just talk about what you might need. Let's just, let's just be forthright about what you're carrying. God, I've got this house. God, God, I've got this son or daughter. I've got this thing going on. Lord, I just got to tell you. What, what happens when we do that? What, what's the advantage of doing that? You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he says it this way. Go ahead, next slide. He says, we humans have two different kinds of causation. Now, that is kind of like, ooh, got to read it ten times to really understand what he's saying. What he's saying here, uh, what he goes on to explain, and, and listen, if you've never read The Divine Conspiracy, and never do, even though I mention it every week, I hope you'll at least read chapter seven, because it'll blow your mind on this whole issue of prayer. But what C.S. Lewis points goes on to point out here is that you as a human have two means of having impact or influence on the created order. One is to do things. Like to get your hands dirty and do things. The other, he says, is to make requests of God. And he would go on to say that if you have weeds in your garden or a flat tire on your car, you could pray for the divine to fix those. But you'd probably be better off just doing it yourself because it's within your domain. It's within God's created order. But if, on the other hand, you have a junior higher in your house... Or you have a friend addicted to heroin. Or you have a spouse that is progressively losing more and more interest in you and you know it. Or you have an addiction to pornography. Then you have the causal of just doing something. And sure, you should do what you you can. But whatever it is you do to help that person or yourself, you better also be talking to God about it. Because what we know in those circumstances is it's bigger than our own primary causation of just what we do on the planet. See, it's this reminder that we live in this world of overlapping domains, isn't it? God and ours, and they're not separated by light years, that they overlap. And though we don't understand how they interact, they do interact. And here's the part that's really uncomfortable. Because listen, maybe I could just ask you this question. What's the prayer scar tissue on your body, on your soul? I bet you have it. Like there was a time and you asked and it didn't. What's, what's, what's the scar tissue? And how, how do you reconcile that with the fact that over and over and over again in the scriptures, stories are told of women and men who engage the divine, engage God, and actually redirect his behavior. Listen, if that's not uncomfortable to you, then, then that's uncomfortable to me. But nonetheless, we have to deal with this intersection. And doesn't Jesus double down on this? 
Like Jesus doesn't go so far as to say, hey, you should pray. You should offer your daily bread. He takes it a step further and says, you should pray and you shouldn't stop praying until it happens or until something happens. Over and over again, Jesus emphasizes you should be persistent in your prayer. Listen, if you're looking this morning for reasons why you don't follow Jesus or you used to follow Jesus, here, let me help you with that. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 11 because this stuff can get so uncomfortable. Listen to what Jesus says. Then Jesus told them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Quite a generous man. I I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the, uh, the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's uncomfortable stuff, isn't it? Uh, let, let's just go on to that, that Luke 18 one, can we, Jamie? Yeah, yeah. If that's not uncomfortable, let's just go to this one. Then Jesus told this parable, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, and there was a widow in the town that kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't even, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Jesus says, don't just pray, persistently pray. And I guess I'm operating on the assumption that this is a room who's been around enough seen God embarrassed enough, watched people fumble over the perfect, precise statement in the exact phrase, if it be your will, in Jesus' name. And as long ago, went like, I just don't know what to do with this. What's the scar tissue? For me, I realized in thinking through this, mine formed when my wife was pregnant with our third kid, uh, she, she was due in the middle of February, and man, it sounds so trivial now as I think about it, but it was so sincere at the time. She was due in the middle of February, and my work life and our kind of work life was such that, boy, if she could have had that baby in sometimes middle to late January, that would be ideal, and we could kind of take a couple weeks off and take it all in. But if he came in the middle of February, like that was right in the midst of some unavoidable parts of work. And, and around the same time, we, we, heard, we learned of this guy from church history named Honai the Circle Drawer. And this guy would take these texts that, that we just read from Jesus, and in his conclusion, he would draw a circle in the ground, he would stand in it, and then he would say to God, I'm not leaving until you answer this prayer. And he at times did it for months. So we heard that teaching, and me being the consummate plagiarizer that I am, I came home and was like, here's what we need to do. We, we just need to tell God, ask God, beg God. We, we need this. I mean, it's not too, it's our third kid. It's not too much of a request, right? Like, we just need it to come in the middle of January. You know what his birthday is? February 15th. <laughs> and she was induced. And I, I don't think I realized this until fairly recently. It was after, I, I didn't lose faith after that. I, I just the place of the request in my life with God went completely away because there was a sense of like, Lord, we, we, we don't have any problems. I, I fully trust you. 
Like, we're good. I believe you're good. Like, tell you what, why don't you just give it and I'll deal, right? Which is kind of overspeaking, but nonetheless, like, Lord, that was embarrassing to me. It was exhausting. It was embarrassing to you. Like, I I don't want to be that guy. So I'm just going to like back away from the request. You just do your thing and I'll treat prayer as this means of just being aware of what I want and not ever telling you to do anything, which sounds really good and until you actually engage the God that Jesus believed in. And over and over and over again, Jesus comes along and goes, no, 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 no. You need to make a habit of telling God what you want and what you need. And you know something? I, I think the persistence piece, this is just my two cents, and you, you'll have to work this out in your own understanding of Scripture and God and his character. I think our persistence and our commitment to praying and makes me sound pathetic, which I am, but I mean, we, we prayed harder over that very thing maybe than anything else we ever have, especially collectively. I think that honored God. You know what I think I missed? I think I missed that the point of it all is less so the result and more so the relationship. Now, I know that sounds trite if your issue is cancer or divorce or a sick child, but just hear me. What if what Jesus is getting at here is that prayer more than anything else is about a relational triune God wanting relationship with you and isn't the way healthy relationships happen is you stick with an issue until it resolves itself. Whether that resolution is death or that resolution is the business fails, or that resolution is the house does sell, or the baby does come, or the cure does happen, isn't that what you do in healthy relationships? When, 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 when someone you love is struggling with an addiction, you just stick with the issue, don't you? You constantly work on it. You constantly, those of you who, who have raised kids and they're now in their 20s, you, you know this. That what you do is you stick with it as long as, as long as you have a voice. As long as they're struggling with that, you just... What if Jesus, his emphasis on persistence is him going, wait a minute, just, I'm just asking you to be so relationally connected that, that, you just, that we just stick with it together. And what if the result of that is that you reach this point where at times God grants your request and other times he doesn't? And you become progressively more comfortable trusting him either way. Think, think of it this way. If, if, you, if you had a boss who never, ever, ever changed his mind despite your bringing good evidence on why he should, what kind of boss does that make him or her? A good one or a bad one? If you had a parent, who there is no conversation. No amount of new information can, can persuade them to a new decision. Does that make them a safe parent or an unsafe parent? It's a terrible boss, right? It's an unsafe... Why then do we stumble over prayer when we go, well, wait a minute, if, if, if this all-knowing, all-loving God... If he changes his mind, that makes him bad. Why? Why does it make for a good boss and a bad God? Conversely, if you had a boss who knew that she knew that she knew, that knew that he knew that he knew 
what was right and true and beautiful and good. And you could not dissuade him away from that. Does that make them a strong leader or a weak one? And if you have a parent, maybe you had this parent, maybe you are this parent, that you could talk into anything you wanted, despite what was right and true and beautiful and good, does that make them a bad parent or a good one? So why then, when God at times stands our ground, his ground, and goes, nah, I'm really glad we're talking this through, but we're not leaving dead center on this one. Why does that make him bad and unsafe? Do you see the double standard? What if Jesus goes, listen, listen, listen. Prayer understood in its core is to understand that that God wants an interactive relationship with you, which means you don't couch things and you don't go to church but not talk to him about your marriage and you don't put money in the offering and not talk to him about your business. You talk about it and you work it out. And the part that falls within your causation that you can do something about, you do. You know, yesterday, I was at all-star tryouts all day yesterday, and I had this moment where I was just like brokenhearted because I'm watching these kids. I was running the pitching machine. I have evidence on my ankle for that. Uh, I'm watching these kids, and all of a sudden it hit me like, that kid is never going to make this team. And he probably went to bed last night praying to God that he would make the team. Does that mean you just stop? Or do you just step into the mess and go, okay, Lord, what what can I do here? And I'm going to do all of it. And yet, Lord, I understand that me sending them to treatment isn't the only thing that heals them of their heroin addiction. There's more at play there. You know, in Mark chapter 8, Mark tells us the story of the feeding of the 4,000, which kind of all of our heads roll in the back of our, our eyes roll in the back of our head because there's this over-familiarity with that text. But Mark does a couple of fascinating things as an artist within that story. First of all, he tells us uh, that, that what the context is Jesus has been teaching a group of people for several days. And he suddenly realizes they're hungry, they're thirsty, and there's no convenience store nearby. Like they go backpacking in, uh, into the Bob Marshall. They get 25 miles back and suddenly realize we didn't pack any granola bars and we have no water filter. And Jesus suddenly comes to this realization of this isn't good. Like these people are going to die. We, we got to get them some food. But if I tell them, unlike the feeding of the 5,000, if I tell them, hey, go to the village that's just around the corner and get some food, they're all going to pass out along the way. And so he calls his guys together and he's like, hey guys, what are we going to do here? And they're like, you're Jesus. You tell us what you're going to do here. And he says, well, what do you have? And they, they say, well, I got a few of these nature's valley granola bars that nobody likes to eat, but I've been carrying them in my bag forever. And Got this half a bottle of Gatorade. And, and you know the story, right? Like Jesus, he, he turns, it, turns it into more and everybody eats and all is well. And theologians for a couple thousand years have been going, so what's Mark doing there? N.T. Wright, who, who's one of my go-tos, he, he points out that perhaps what's going on there is, is God is communicating to these people, listen, I've spent the last few years telling you to go advance my kingdom, go advance my kingdom, go serve my people, go vacuum at six o'clock in the morning, go teach kids, go, go, go scatter, go, go make me look good. But along the way, please also know that I'm sensitive to your needs and desires. I'm aware of the stuff you're carrying. 
I'm not just asking you to advance my kingdom like a bad boss. I care deeply about you, and I would like to meet those needs at times in unexpected ways. I guess this morning, as I understand it, what I might be asking you to do is maybe step off of what, please don't be offended, but off of your kind of spiritual intellectual high horse a bit. Because you've been around this long enough that you've thought it so through that you have such knots tied that you don't even know how to ask anything of God. It's not that you don't love him. It's not that you don't trust him. You're just not even sure when to begin to communicate your desires because you know that he's so much bigger and better and knowledgeable. That all is really good. The problem is it sounds nothing like the God Jesus followed and very little like the relationship that he had. Listen, for those of you that long ago transitioned from admirer to follower, what if give us today our daily bread is about a God who goes, I understand prayers that are about centering and focus and vision. Those are all so comfortable to you, but that's not the only thing you need to do. You, you, need, you need to be aware of what you want and you need to get comfortable, get vulnerable. That's what we're talking about here, right? To get vulnerable enough to go like, Lord, I absolutely, positively don't want this to happen. And I'm going to keep saying that. And I'm going to keep following the resolution. And I'm going to stay close. And I'm going to hurt. And I'm going to get mad. And I'm going to feel the full gamut of emotion. What if, what if you were to take seriously God's invitation to consider what you're carrying? What's, it's there. Everyone knows it, including God, but you're not willing to say it. And you know, for those of you who, and, and I so respect that you're here, it's not that you don't believe in God, it's that you're not convinced that he's personal and that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of who he is and what he's about. That, listen, I, I, I respect that. But will you just try something? Rather than say, like, i got to figure out the resurrection, i got to figure out all this science stuff, i got to figure out these giant questions... Will you just, this week, will you just experiment with something? Will you, will you just, Monday through Friday, on your drive to work, turn off the radio. Would you, just, would you just try talking to God as though he cares? As though he wants to be engaged on this level? Just, just do that, Monday through Friday. And then, come Saturday, evaluate. See if you're all the better or all the worse for it. That's what we do with people in relationship. We try them out. We don't know when we hire someone. We, we, we try them out. Try Jesus out. See if it works. And evaluate. Listen, I, I understand that this, this is not an easy topic. But what if God says, you understand prayer best when you understand my desire for interactive relationship? And therefore, what are you carrying? What's in your bag? I'd like to pray for you because I know there's a lot of processing. God, Lord, I have no doubt that there are a lot of emotions and a lot of history and a lot of frustration and a lot of success and a lot of failure just flooding our memories and thoughts. God, for some of us, this is the furthest thing from hypothetical or even superficial. This is, there are real cancer cells, God, real divorce papers, real mortgages, real depression, real addiction. God, we, 
We step into the truth that what we get from this life is who we become and what you get from this life is who we become and that prayer is an incredible tool that you use to shape our character. God, in the midst of what is a pretty cerebral intellectual culture, would you challenge us and give us the emotional energy uh, to step vulnerably into the kind of relationship with you where we're okay asking and okay not getting and at the same time okay really, really wanting. Would you walk us into the kind of relationship where we don't even have to know if it's sin, we don't even have to know if it's your desire, that we just work those things out with you over time. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.